Well, today is week four of our series called Hidden Figures, and uh, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to have you turn to the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 25. We'll be in 1 Samuel 25 as we come to this fourth in our series. We've been looking at a couple people, actually four people from the Word of God who uh, they may not have had a whole book or a chapter or they may not have been the headline, if you will. Uh, they were a little bit behind the scenes, but they did amazing things uh, in the story of redemption. And so I want to thank you guys so much for being in the house. Isn't it great to be back in God's house? And uh, man, thank you guys so much for being a part. Thank you. We got about 20 or so people back on the backstage patio. Why don't we give it up for them? And uh, We've got some folks who are joining us online. Thank you guys for joining us online as well. I'm so glad that you all are joining with us today. So I want to begin today with a question. How many of you, and I'm going to ask you if you're here in the house and if you're back on the backstage patio to raise your hands. And if you're at home and you want to raise your hand, you can do that too, all right, if you guys are watching online. Um, how many of you um, know of someone in your life who's difficult? Raise your hand. All right, very good. Awesome. Very good. All right. All right, hold those hands up for just a second. Look, look around. All right, very good. If you're, if you're not raising your hand and you see me afterwards, you're lying. All right, so uh, now, you can put your hands down. Now, why don't you raise your hand if that person is sitting next to you. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. I'm just kidding. Don't, don't do that. No, I don't want to start it up here uh, in church, but I also don't want you to lie, so no, I'm, I'm not going to make you do that. Uh, today, we're going to be coming to this character in God's Word who is someone who God used to deal with someone who is difficult, and we can learn a lot from the story of this, I, I believe, maybe obscure character in God's Word from the Old Testament. Uh, the person's name is Abigail. We all have people in our lives um, who are difficult. And we're going to see today that Abigail had a couple people in her life uh, who were difficult. And uh, God used her in a remarkable way, uh, just like he can uh, with uh, many of the people we've talked about before and many other people in the Bible. We're just scratching the surface. This might be a series that we come back to a time or two. And I think we all have had those moments in time when we have to deal with people who are difficult or we have situations that arise that are just like terribly ripe with conflict. But today we're going to be looking at three different people. Our hidden character is Abigail. We're going to be taking a look at her story and three different people that uh, you know, are part of or the, part of the makeup of this story. And here's what I don't want us to do. Today I don't want us to look at Abigail and just automatically like say, well, I'm Abigail and like everyone else are the other two characters in this story. Because I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I learn that like I'm the one who may be difficult. I'm the one who may be the other characters in this story. And here's what usually happens with difficult people in situations that are ripe with conflict and ripe with difficulty, um, is you usually have one person who's the most difficult person, and you usually have another person that's very easily influenced and changes to be very difficult, and then you have a peacemaker, and it's exactly what we find in God's word all the way back in 1 Samuel chapter 25. Now, so I want you to identify with these characters, but I don't want you to identify with just one. I want you to see where you might be and, and how you might learn from all three of, of these characters, including our main character, Abigail. 
Now, when you're studying God's word, context is incredibly important. But in this particular case, I think it's even more important. And so I want to just kind of give some background about where we are. Now, last week we talked about uh, King Josiah. And King Josiah was several hundred years later than we're talking about. And we're talking today about the beginning of the monarchy. We're we're talking about the beginning of the transition from judges being God's uh, mouthpiece, and they continue to be God's mouthpiece, to this transition into the monarch over the Jewish people. And of course, Saul was the first king of the United Kingdom of Israel, and then he was followed by this man by the name of David. And where we come to in this story is that David um, has, has been anointed by Samuel, the, the one where we get this book from. He's been anointed by Samuel as the new king. But he's not the heir to the throne. And that kind of ticked Saul off. So Saul is now after David. And David is, is you know, kind of running for his life. He's trying to seek shelter. He's trying to escape from Saul because Saul is king and his dynasty is dead and he's after David. Now, the chapter begins, we're going to take a look at it and we're going to blitz through a lot of this and I'm going to summarize some verses and then we're going to look at some verses and we're going to be in the ESV, which is the, the translation that we primarily use and I'm also going to use the message a couple times because the message helps summarize parts of the story. But it's a fascinating story. And it begins, verse 1, in 1 Samuel chapter 25, with Samuel has died. It's a great, positive, like, you know, like, Bill, you know, just like Samuel is dead. And Samuel's an important person because Samuel was part of the leadership, the spiritual leadership of the whole nation. But specifically, this is kind of like the way that I kind of view it as this is, this is David, the future king, and he is going to be future king at this point in time. This is kind of like his spiritual dad. And so David is not only in the wilderness running for his life, but David is in mourning. David is in mourning. And perhaps you've been there. Perhaps you've been where David was. I've been where David was. Maybe not running for my life, but I've been in mourning, and I've been stressed. And you know what? Sometimes we make terrible mistakes when we're stressed, and when we're mourning, and when we're tired, and when we're afraid. And that's where we find David. He's mourning. He's out in the wilderness. The nation of Israel had come together, and they together had a funeral for Samuel. And David leaves that funeral. Can you imagine for a moment David and, and Saul are at odds, and Saul is trying to kill David. And, and it says that all of Israel, we're going to read it in a moment, all of Israel has to come together and have this funeral for Samuel. And I'm sure that they were there. Awkward moment, right? Between David and Saul. And then David leaves and goes out in the wilderness. And he's probably very stressed. He's probably very tired and afraid. And he was in mourning. And so that's where we pick up and take a look at 1 Samuel 25, verse 3, as we pick up the, uh, the story from here. Now, the name of this man that they meet out in the wilderness was this man named Nabal, and, and, his, and the name of his wife was Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man, talking about her husband, Nabal, was harsh and badly behaved, and it ends by saying he was a Calebite. 
Now, this is so interesting. There's so much information in this one verse, verse 3. It's just like full of information about what's going on here. The whole nation has come together. David's out in the wilderness. He runs into this guy, Nabal. Actually, he doesn't, but this man is living out there in the wilderness with his wife, Abigail. And, and, and what we find out is, is that he's a Calebite. What that means is, is that he's from the line of Caleb or the line of Judah. And who else was from the line of Judah? Who else was from the tribe of Judah? David. And so was Jesus. So we see Jesus here in the Old Testament in this story about Abigail already. And so 1 Samuel 25, verse 3, gives us so much information. So, so let, me, let me summarize. This would be like you being out in the middle of nowhere and running into someone who's harsh and mean and finding out that they're your cousin. That's what this is like. This is like a cousin that you found out in the wilderness, and they're harsh and they're mean. It's kind of funny because verses 4 through 12, just to summarize... I always viewed David on the run from Saul. I, I don't know if this comes from growing up or, or you know, maybe seeing it like on a cartoon or a flannel graph. If you're that old like I am, you'll know what a flannel graph is. If you're not, VeggieTales, okay? Just think VeggieTales. Like my view of this was David was by himself out in the wilderness, right? He was not by himself. Not at all. He had hundreds of people with him. He was out in the wilderness with all of these people because, people because remember that he was the upcoming king. He was the one that had already been anointed but not yet had become king. So he was essentially the prince or the upcoming prince. And when Saul died, David would take his throne. And so he's out in the wilderness with all of these hundreds of men and sheep because we know one thing about David. He was what? He was a shepherd, Okay. And so David had been kind, I'm summarizing verses 4 through 12, David had been kind to Nabal's shepherd, David's men were in need of a really good meal. And so David sends a messenger to Nabal, who was this very rich, wealthy, powerful man, and he basically says, hey, we're traveling, my guys are tired, we need a snack. Can you provide a snack? And that's all that David asked. And so he asked, in a way, he sent a messenger, and his request was bold, but it was also kind and humble and respectful. And David thought that he had leverage with this man because he had been kind to some of Nabal's men out there in the middle of the wilderness who were also shepherds. And he says, will you give us a meal? Now, Nabal's response is dripping with sarcasm. The messenger goes to Nabal and he says, my man, David, he would like for you to, because you are so wealthy and you're such a great man and we've helped you out, we would love for you to arrange for a meal. You know, give us some snacks here. We're, we're on the run. And, and, and Nabal basically with great sarcasm goes, who is this David guy? Now, he knew well and good exactly who David was because David was the upcoming king. But this was Nabal's way of just poking at the situation and trying to, trying to provoke a, a negative response. And he says, essentially, I've worked hard what I've collect, for what I've collected and you're wanting me to give it to you and your men? Get off my lawn, dude. 
And he sends him back to David, and the messenger goes back to David, and he tells him the response that he got from this rich man. And take a look at 1 Samuel 25, 13 to look at David's response. Now, David is a man that we later find out is a man after God's own heart. So we know how a man after God's own heart is going to respond to this sarcastic, mean-spirited, rich, powerful man. He's going to lovingly say, fine, I'll move on to the next guy, right? Let's take a look at verse 13. And David said to his man, every man strap on a sword. And every man, man, man of them strapped on a sword. David also strapped on his own sword. And about 400 men went up after David while 200 remained with the, the baggage. So David gets this harsh response from this harsh, mean rich person, and he responds with harshness himself. I mean, instantly, instantly. And so what we have is we have this respectful request, we have a rude response, and we have rapid revenge. David is like, all right, guys, take up your arms. We're going to battle over what this guy said. How many times do we do the same thing, though? We may not do it physically. We do it in our minds, we do it with our emotions, we do it in our hearts. Somebody says one thing negatively about us, I am at the top of the list, and we want to go to war. We want to go to war over it. And so David responds with this, this very quick revenge, like let's go to battle I can't believe this guy it degraded me. And, and here's, here's one of the lessons I think we can learn in the story of Abigail. We haven't even gotten to her yet, right? David was, he was tired. He was hungry. He was hangry. We talk about that a lot, don't we? He was probably lonely. And, and there's this old phrase that I learned years ago that I wish I was better at doing myself, and that's halt when you're hungry or angry or lonely tired. We need to stop. We need to stop. We need to stop. Because our response when we're hungry and angry and lonely and tired usually isn't to halt. It's usually to put our battle armor on and go to war. And I got to be honest with you, man, this message is hard because there have been so many times in my life or somebody said the wrong thing at the wrong time. And if I had just waited, if I had just stopped, if I had just paused, things would have turned out better. But my flesh wanted to go to war. I wanted to avenge what they said. I wanted to turn it around. But what hangs in the balance is not just a, a relationship. Um, these men were of the same tribe. They were essentially cousins. But David, who was the upcoming king, was more than happy to go to war over words. Listen, church, I want you to hear that. The king, the future king of Israel, and we know his history, wasn't good decision making when he was hungry and angry and lonely and tired in the future. And it wasn't before he was king. But this would have been a king who potentially had blood on his hands before he even ascended to the throne. 
So one of Nabal's guys went to visit Nabal's wife, Abigail. She's mentioned back in verse 3. She's our hidden figure. We're about ready to get to her. And he, and he says, you know what? David is out in the desert, and he, he had some, some guys go visit your husband, and uh, your husband uh, reacted in a bad way. They just wanted a meal. They wanted some snacks for the road. He was rude. He said, get off my lawn. He said, no bueno, get out of here. Like, David is not happy, and David thinks he's the king right now, and he's wanting to responds, respond with revenge. And, and I just wanted to tell you, because you might get a call from the UN, like this might be an international incident. So Abigail, you might want to know about this. And if you can do something about it, you might want to think about doing something about it. And so she responds by gathering bread and wine and donkeys and sheep and other food without her husband's knowledge. And she goes out to meet David and some of his guys come out to meet her and they have this little conference. And I don't know about you, but when I'm hungry and I see the food and I start partaking of the food, I'm usually satisfied and pacified, but David is not. He looks at Abigail and he says, before morning, he's dead. <laughs> David takes it up a notch. I mean, he just keeps ratcheting this thing up. And here's where our hidden figure comes into play. Here's where she comes into play. I don't want you to miss this. This is from the message to see how Abigail responds to David. As soon as Abigail, verse 23 through 25, as soon as she saw David, she got off of her donkey and she fell on her knees at his feet, her face to the ground in homage to David saying, my master, let me take the blame. Let me speak to you. Listen to what I have to say. Don't dwell on what the brute Nabal said. She's calling her husband a brute. That's a whole message for some other day. He acts out. She says this. He acts out the meaning of his name, Nabal, which is fool. And she says, foolishness oozes from him. I mean, she's not painting a flattering picture of this man because he was not a good guy. He's definitely the villain in this story. But I don't know about you, but there are times in this story when I don't identify with Abigail or David, but I identify with Nabal. When I say the wrong thing to someone and I'm the one that's at fault and she takes the blame... In verses 26 through 29, she explains that she wasn't there when he decided to disrespect David and when the servants came and that if she had been there, it would have turned out differently. And so she's still on her knees and she presents this feast that she had prepared. And it goes on to say in the message, verses 30 and 31, when God, she's saying this to David, when God completes all the goodness he has promised my master, and sets you up as prince over Israel. Remember, David's not king yet. My master will not have this dead weight in his heart, the guilt, the guilt of an avenging murder. And when God has worked things for good, my master, remember me. And at that point in time, David's heart melts. I'm going to pick up the story in verses 32 and 35, the ESV, he says, David says to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, 
who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from the blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hands. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, he realizes it would have hurt her. Unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. He would have killed everyone. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him, the food. And he said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice and I have granted your petition. I love this story. And almost in a footnote in some ways, because there's so much we can learn from just those few verses right before the verse we're about ready to see, verse 39. In just those few verses, there's so much we can learn. And I want to highlight three things in a moment. But, but the end result, almost as a footnote, is Nabal dies just a few days later. She goes back to him to fess up what she did. Hey, I gave David all this food. I'm trying to make peace among you and your cousin, pal, husband of mine. And she shows up, and he's drunk. He's had all this wine, and 10 days later, he dies. Maybe there's a lesson there. I don't know. But anyway, okay, so this is what happens in this story from Abigail. Now, I want to ask you today. I want to ask you today, as I've told this story, as you've seen the words on the screen, who are you identifying with? Are you identifying with Nabal? Have you had moments when you've been him? You've been the one who's been harsh, and your words, like Proverbs says, has stirred up anger, because that's essentially what happened. I heard someone the other day say, you know, sometimes when people that are like Nabal tell the truth, they do it in a way that's mean and nasty. And the truth is still the truth, but you're still being rude. <laughs> and I think there's something that we can learn from Nabal. I know there's something I can learn from Nabal about how we talk to each other, how we approach each other. Do you find yourself in Nabal's shoes sometimes, or do you find yourself in David's shoes, easily influenced I find myself in, in David's shoes more than maybe Nabal and, and more than Abigail because there are times when I'm around someone who's, who's angry, I find myself getting angry too. Or when someone who's angry provokes me, I just follow right in. I, I tell my golf buddies, and I don't know if this is actually true or not because it's golf, right? We kind of you know, fib about some things sometimes. But I like to think that like when I play with a person who's better than me, I kind of play up to their level, right? I don't know if it's necessarily true, but I like to think it's true. But I think that's what we do in terms of anger sometimes. Just follow the lead. And David immediately, when he was provoked, put on that battle armor. He was willing to go to war over words. And he was easily influenced. Or are you the Abigail? Are you the one that comes in with poise and grace and humility with these two difficult men? Yes, I said it, guys. Men. Maybe the lesson is 
hey guys, let's listen to our women, let's have a prayer, and let's go home and go eat. But <laughs> I think there's so much more to the story there. I think there's a lot more to the story. Because Abigail shows us so much. She so shows, shows us so much about how we can deal with difficult people. What can we learn from Abigail's life? I mean, she's not mentioned again. She's not mentioned again anywhere. He, he ends up taking her as his first wife. And she is the wife of the king when he becomes king. But what can we learn from her life? What can we learn from Abigail here, the first thing I think we can learn is that leading people through deep disagreements requires reason. Leading people through deep disagreements requires reason. Now, I'm just going to say this. I'm just going to tell you this. I love leadership, and I love people, and I love being a pastor. But conflict is not my game. I'm way out over my skis, as they say here. I just am. I hate conflict. I hate it. But you all have been there. You've been in a situation where you have two people warring, and that's an awkward thing, isn't it? It's a very difficult thing. And what does she do? She comes in, and, and she, she reasons with David, who is on fire in his mind and in his emotions. I mean, he is ticked off, isn't he? And she comes in, and she reasons in this volatile situation. Philippians 4, 5 says that we should let our reasonableness be made known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. We just sang a song about him fighting our battles. And let me tell you, church, when we do this, when we are reasonable with people who are out of control, he'll fight our battles. Isaiah 1, 8 is... Isaiah's prophesying right out of the gates in Isaiah chapter 1 to the nation and, and to the Jewish people. And he basically says, hey, here are all the ways that you failed, but here's how you get back to God. And he says in verse 18, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. I think covid has caused us, I'm just going to be honest, man, it's a great day. It's great to be back and see more people out and see more people in church, and we can worship in a different way. But boy, COVID has really, really caused us to go to the extremes, hasn't it? It's really pushed us to a place where even in the church, I see people choosing an approach over the gospel, and it pains me. And it's caused me sometimes to lash out. I admit it. It's pushed us to the edge of reason several times. It has. And it's discouraging. But we, when we're at a point where we don't know what it means to reason, we can ask God for his reason. Because it's so much better than ours anyway, isn't it? Second thing that we can learn from Abigail, is that leading people through disturbing situation requires composure. Hmm. That's an art form that's long gone in our world, isn't it? Composure. I think people might call it poise today. Poise is a great word for what Abigail did. I mean, she approached, and I could say that she was humble, and that would just simplify it too much. 
I could say that, you know, she was respectful. That would oversimplify it. She had composure that I don't believe. Listen, I don't believe that it was from her. I think it was from God. Because can you imagine a woman in that day and age who was, women were far, far, far less respected then than they are now. And she goes out to David and confronts him. And she did it with great composure. Back to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, those next verses. says, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. If we want to be people who deal and lead people who are difficult and lead them through difficult situations. We've got to ask God for composure. And then lastly, what can we learn from Abigail's life, this hidden figure, is that leading people through difficult conflict requires wisdom. And if you've ever been there, it is hard to find in the moment, isn't it? It's hard to find in the moment. But that's where our reliance on God comes in. James 3 says, but the wisdom, or excuse me, James 1, chapter 5, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, what does that next phrase say? Let him, what's that word? Ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. James 3, 7 says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, open to reason, back to that reason word, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And when I read that verse, that's what I think this hidden figure had. She had wisdom that didn't come from here. It came from God. And it was perfect in that situation. What can we learn from Abigail? Uh, we can learn to lead people through deep disagreements, that it requires reason. That leading them through disturbing situations requires composure. And that leading people through difficult conflict requires us to have wisdom. But here's the thing, church. I want you to hear this. If we try to go at this on our own, we will fall woefully short. If we try on our own to find reason, if we try to find composure, and if we try to find wisdom on our own, through our own merit, we will fall short. Because we, on our own, can only manufacture man-made reason, man-made composure, and man made wisdom. So when you are in a situation, and if you're in a situation today when you're facing conflict or you're facing a difficult person, my challenge to you is to not go to that self-help book, to not go to that website, to not go to that person, but to first stop and to ask God who gives generously. I believe that's what Abigail did in this situation. And it resulted in King David ascending to the throne without blood on his hands. 
with a pure heart, allowing him to be the man after God's own heart, even though in his future life he continued to make mistake after mistake after mistake, God used him in remarkable ways. And what if Abigail had not been there? What if David had not listened? What if God, I believe, had not intervened in that situation? We don't know what would have become of the nation of Israel. And today I want to remind those of you who are here who are seriously struggling with a difficult person or difficult people in your life beyond your ability to even think that it's possible to impart reason and to have composure and to use wisdom. I want you to hear what David realized once he came to his senses. That God's blessing, please don't miss this, God's blessing is and can be upon you if you will allow him to move in your life. Father, I pray today for those who are in a situation like Abigail was in, where the deck was stacked, where the deck was stacked against her, where it was stacked against the whole nation, where it was stacked against all the people. Father, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would be with those who feel like there is no way out. Father God, I pray right now in the strong name of Jesus that you would give them reasonableness, you would give them composure, and that you would impart wisdom. And Father, I pray like Abigail had, I pray for the courage and the strength and the ability for those who are in here who are faced with a difficult situation or difficult people to have that courage to open their mouth and to speak truth in love. God, help those of us, myself included, who maybe sometimes were the ones that say the harsh word or the ones that lead like Nabal or sometimes we're like David. We're just, we just follow right in. We give in to that darker part of us that's just part of our sinful flesh. God, help us, help each one of us to halt, to stop, stop in our tracks, to not be the David, but to be the Abigail, to speak reason and poise and wisdom. And Father, help us not to try to manufacture it, but God, I pray that we would hit our knees and ask you, to help us in our weakness. Help us in our time of need. Help us with that difficult person. Help us with that difficult situation. Father, I pray for marriages. I pray for business relationships. I pray for students who are in school. God, I pray for all of the situations among family, fathers and sons and moms and daughters and brothers and sisters. Father, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would help us to be the Abigail in those situations. God, may we be in tune with your Holy Spirit, Father. 
just walk in the way that you want us to walk and be the person that you want us to be. God, I thank you so much for the blessing that we have as your children, as heirs to your throne, that we have access to you. What a great, great benefit of being your child. Father, I pray that we would walk in that blessing. I pray that we would take that seriously and that we wouldn't take it for granted. God, I thank you so much for what you did on the cross. I thank you so much for what you did by defeating death, taking our sins away. We thank you so much for the blessing that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray.